Good morning. And happy Father's Day. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. We are delighted to have you here for worship this morning. Old friends and new, please pick up the friendship pad and pass it to everyone in your pew. Please sign your name so we are aware of your presence and we can all greet one another by name at the conclusion of worship. If you wish to talk to a Stephen minister confidentially, the Stephen minister on duty today is Carol Tiemann, and she is available in the narthex wearing a special name tag. Please take a look at the bulletin for details of upcoming events and additional announcements. And I do have two announcements this morning. The first one is I would like the 6th and 7th graders to remain in the service until after the graduating high school seniors are recognized this morning. And second of all, in memoriam and in honor, and to recognize the tragedy that occurred in Charleston, South Carolina earlier this week, Churches across the country are ringing their bells at 10 o'clock, and we have rung ours this morning in memoriam. Please join us for refreshments in Fellowship Hall at the end of worship. We will begin our service with a hymn. Please join me in our responsive call to worship. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the mighty waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their calamity. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad because they had quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him. Let us worship God. Amen. 
Join me in the prayer of the day. Gracious God, we come to you as we are, people who know times of trouble and times when we are afraid, even for our lives. Some of us may be in the midst of a storm raging right now, and we cry out for awareness of your presence and for hope and courage as we await your deliverance. But all of us remember, with the psalmist, how in days past you have been with us when the boat of our life was tossed and we feared drowning. We remember how you calmed the winds and waves in our souls and situations. And so, in trust, we come together, praising and thanking you for your compassion and your power, seeking your peace. Amen. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. He said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe, and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let us confess our sin to God. Why are you so afraid? That's a foolish question. Here are the disciples in a small boat, in a storm, and Jesus asks, Why are you afraid? You'd have to be pretty secure not to be afraid. Why am I afraid? That is a silly question, too. Look at our world, filled with dangers, from terrorist-wielding knives and pipe bombs to the potential for catastrophic climate change, from killers on the loose in upstate New York to colleague loans that could feel like a mountain to repay, the personal injury falling off a bike, the simple malicious mischief, 
So many things affect me, most of them out of my control. I'd have to be irrational not to be afraid. Most anyone with sense would be, is, if not petrified, afraid. Lord, forgive me my fears, my wish to control everything, my valuing safety above all, and teach me to accept, to know, that you know, and that nothing can separate me from you, not giants, not storms, not even fear. Nothing can separate me from my Lord Jesus, in whose name I pray. Amen. ordained salvation and peace for us, and neither sin nor sorrow, trial, nor any kind of trouble will be able to separate us from the forgiveness, love, and power of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He is God's peace, and in him we find peace. Please be seated, friends. Paul writes to the Corinthians and to us. I invite you to hear God's word to you. As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See? Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. We are putting no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, in honor and dishonor, in ill repute and good repute, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well-known, as dying. And see, we are, not, we are alive, as punished and not yet killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor but making many rich, 
as having nothing and yet possessing everything. We've spoken frankly to you, Corinthians. Our hearts are wide open to you. There is no restriction in our affections, but only in yours. In return, I speak to you as children. Open wide your hearts also. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm going to invite children to join me up here on the stairs. I've got a couple of strange things here that you may never have seen before, like this little wooden piece. It looks really different. Any idea what this is? What do you think? What's this look like to you? Looks like maybe it could hold a candle if I put it this way. Yeah, that doesn't look like I could do that. But I happen to know what this really is. You stick this end in the nostril of a camel, and then you tie a rope around this end, and if you had two of them, then you can steer a camel. This is a camel nose plug, is what this is. Not too many times you get to see one of these. This is very, very different. And it's decorated, too. I don't know that the camel really cares. Then I've got this. Okay. What do you suppose this is? I don't know. Apron for a doll. Now, that's potentially... I think that's a good idea. We could try that out. Any idea what this is? No idea. Shall I tell you? Okay. This happens to be a slingshot. This is the kind of slingshot that David used when he slay Goliath. Now, it's not the kind you think that's made of rubber, but he would put a stone in here and fold this over, and then he had the unique ability to twist this up at a very high rate of speed, and at the right moment, he would let go one of the strings, and the stone would fly at a very high velocity. And they say that a good slinger could hit a target about that size at 300 yards away, 300 football fields. They were really very skilled a long time ago. With a high velocity, you could send that stone. But probably, you never saw a slingshot like this. We got this one in Israel, kind of in um, where David grew up. And I thought that was kind of interesting that he used that. Now, let me tell you something about David. Goliath was a giant, and he killed the giant. But everybody thought that the giant is so big and David is so small. But David had a different thought. David thought this. The giant is so big, I can't miss. Which is a different way to understand David and Goliath. And I used to think that the underdog was Goliath because, or or David, because he was so small and Goliath was so big. 
But the one who really was the underdog here was Goliath because David had God on his side and God was with him. And that made a difference. Let's pray about this. Lord God, thank you for this beautiful day and for the opportunity to think about David and Goliath and uh, sometimes the targets that look so big for us. But with you with us, we can certainly hit the targets a lot better. So be with us today. Improve our aim. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you very much for coming up. We're going to be honoring seniors next, and we hope that you have a good day today. Yeah, we are. That's exactly right. Hi, at this time in our service, we're going to be celebrating the graduating seniors. Um, I haven't got to know them for very long, but... The time that I have, uh, they're a very impressive bunch. Uh, I'm going to ask you to hold your applause until the very end, but you're going to want to when I start naming these names. Um, so graduates, I'm going to call your names, and if you come stand up front, then we will say a prayer for you and hand out your Bibles, and then you can sit back down. There is a list of their names and their future plans in the bulletin if you would like to see where they're headed next. So Oliver Ash. Maddie Collins, Emily Drake, Yasmin Fernays, Maddie Frank, Laurel Gabble, Jonathan Kim, Nick Polizzi, Madison Ranslow, Elizabeth Tyler, and we have one senior who graduated from college, Paige Thompson. So the class of 2015. You can clap now. I'm going to invite the high school form teachers to come up and hand out the Bibles, and then Dan's going to pray for the seniors. I can't tell you what a pleasure it has been to work with these high school students over the last four years or eight years, as the case may be. (laughs) Uh, Please join me in prayer. Lord, it's been such a privilege to watch these students grow in maturity, knowledge, and faith. Lord, we pray that they can carry the lessons they have learned here in Pittsburgh out to a world full of need for leadership, justice, and compassion. We pray, Lord, as these students move forward, that they leave space in their lives for your presence 
and that they use the strength you offer to help make this world a better place. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
This has been a troublesome week for a lot of people, particularly those in Charleston, South Carolina. I almost had an audible that I would call and not sing the hymn we just sang, but I thought it was a good hymn, particularly for the families of our students today as they think about their future. But Carolyn Winfrey Gillette wrote a hymn yesterday entitled, They Met to Read the Bible. It is set to the tune of Beneath the Cross of Jesus. I've made about 150 copies of it, and you can find it out in the vestibule if you would like one. She wrote the hymn for the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston. And there is also out there a prayer for Sunday worship in the wake of the Charleston Massacre that was penned by Jill Duffield, who is the editor of Presbyterian Outlook, and you can pick that up as well if you would like. There are lots of heavy hearts about this. Um, I thought you might want to know that we did send some flowers from this congregation to the Baber African Methodist Episcopal Church in downtown Rochester. For several years of when I arrived, their pastor, Norval Goff, and I worked on several projects together for Colgate-Rochester-Crozier Divinity School. His bishop has assigned him to lead worship this morning at the church in Charleston, where he will be the interim pastor because their pastor was shot. It's a prayerful day. We have a long, long scripture ahead of us. I'm not going to read it in its entirety, but it is the story from 1 Samuel 17 about David and Goliath. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion, Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze, and he armed himself with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs and a javelin slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield-bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to drop for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Do you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now Saul and they were all men of Israel. They were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, took the provisions, and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the army was going forth to the battle line, shouting its war cry. David said to King Saul, 
Let no one's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Saul said to David, you're not able to go against him to fight with him. You're just a boy. He's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And whenever a lion or bear came, he took a lamb from the flock. I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from its mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. Now you know what happened, don't you? He took five smooth stones from the wadi, went out to fight Goliath. He put away all of the heavy armor that Saul gave him, and he won the battle. Barbara was walking with her four-year-old daughter, Sarah. As her personality was becoming more pronounced, the name Sarah was being replaced on a common daily basis with Sally. Sally picked up something from the ground and started to put it in her mouth, but Barbara took it away and just said simply, don't do that. Typical four-year-old, Sally said, why not? Her mother said, because it's on the ground, you know where it's been, it's dirty, it's probably loaded with germs, and it could make you sick. Sally looked at her mom She had total admiration for her mother. She said, Mommy, how do you know all this stuff? You're so smart. And her mother said, all moms know this stuff. It's on the mom test. You have to know it or they don't let you be a mom. There was silence for a minute. Sally ruminated on this. Then she broke the silence and she offered this observation. Oh, I get it. If you don't pass the mom test, you have to be the daddy. (laughs) Welcome to Father's Day 2015. I saw that someone made a very short editorial note in the paper. It read, Father's Day is like Mother's Day, except the gift is cheaper. We could spend our time looking at fathers. They're needed in our world today, but we've got a lot of things in front of us. We have this marvelous story about David and Goliath, a New Testament scene of Jesus asleep in the stern of a boat, both stories carrying the seeds of ways in which we might handle fear. We've got high school students receiving Bibles and looking forward to their graduation ceremonies next Saturday. And as always, we have a World events that swirl and demand some kind of response from people of faith. If there's any story in the Bible that seems as if it was created for male bonding, the type of narrative that seems to me to go out really long ahead of the others is this story of David and Goliath. It's got all of those things that lots of guys traditionally like competition, violence, and heroism. We might summarize what we see in the story of David and Goliath by saying, David can beat Goliath 
by substituting effort for ability and substituting effort for ability turns out to be a winning formula for underdogs in all walks of life. We might also say that relying on the tools that God provides us and trusting in God will go a long way to helping us overcoming our fears and making us successful. The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will save me from the hand of this Philistine. David had something to teach Saul and his army. He called on the name of the Lord and prayed, something that no one else in the camp apparently thought to do. David would not go into battle alone because God was with him. Sort of like a certain father who listened as his son told him about his first serious conflict at school. He'd been picked on by three bullies who punched him and knocked him off his bike as he was riding home. Bullies made it difficult for him, and he told his dad that they threatened to do more harm to him the next morning. He said that he was afraid to go back to school and didn't know what to do. That evening, the father taught his son some basic techniques on how to defend himself, and then together they explored all the possibilities, including one that he might try to win over these three as friends. The father worked hard to build his son's self-confidence, and the next morning the father and son prayed together. That was something that this dad had not done before with his son. And then with a reassuring embrace and a handshake, the father smiled confidently and said, You can do it, son. I know you'll make out all right. And with that assurance, the boy got on his bike. He rode off to school. What he did not know was that his father followed him in the car. He stayed just far enough behind but remained out of sight, but close enough to come to his son's assistance if that was needed. If there was trouble, the dad would be there. The son might have thought he was all alone, but his dad was present. Knowing that God is with us, like the father was with the boy, can be of great comfort. People are able to face all sorts of giants when they know God is there. And it is a good lesson for dads who want to give confidence to their children, but not some false abusive bravado, but enough nudging so that our children will learn to become independent. King Saul reluctantly agreed to allow David to fight, and Saul, wanting to protect this young boy, called for his own armor. A bronze helmet was too big. Coat of mail weighed him down. The sheer weight of the sword almost knocked him over. He was encumbered by all of this armor plate. He complained, I can't walk with these. I'm not used to them. And here is a lesson for high school graduates. Be careful going forward with armor you cannot use. 
God has given you gifts that are unique to you. Uncover those and use them. For some of the things this world wants you to have will only weigh you down. So we know the story. We know how it ended. And God was with David. But there are other giants out there. I mean, there are giants of terminal illness and joblessness and persecution and severed relationships and discouraging, lonely battles that we'll encounter. I, I think that our world is filled with these storms and giants. Maybe those of you who are graduating from high school will hear worn-out cliches of many a speech now and in the future. People are going to tell you things at graduation like, you've got to believe in yourself. To this I say, baloney, you don't. Nobody else is going to tell you this, by the way. Sometimes my friends being politically correct leaves us very short-sighted. Napoleon may have gone nuts and mad, but you certainly can't say he didn't believe in himself. And I say you might even go further and be more effective if you were to believe in God. And I might also add that people will tell you to follow your dreams. But I say unto you, dump that idea. And follow your curiosity instead. Follow your questions and pay attention to your heart. Everybody else is too afraid to tell you this because we keep teaching our children that it's important for them to be happy and successful. We do not tell them that our hope for them is that they be good or kind or faithful or loving. No, we tell them that we want them to be happy, and in so doing, we set them up for failures of many kinds with the concept that the whole world ought to go around doing everything it can to make children happy and that their happiness is the access on which the world spins. But it isn't. In a recent study released by Harvard University entitled The Children We Mean to Raise, the report tells us that a large majority of youth value personal success, achievement, and happiness over caring for others. The study asked youth to rank what was most important to them, achieving at a high level and happiness and feeling good all of the time were the highest. Almost 80% of youth picked high achievement and happiness of their top choices out of 15. Roughly 20% selected caring for the world or others. 
A root of this troubling finding is the messages that parents and adults are unintentionally sending. According to the surveys that make up the study, parents say that they want their children to be caring and respectful and to value their children being this way. But according to the youth that are surveyed, their parents may say one thing but give evidence of wanting their children to pursue something else, and that is happiness and achievement. It's not that I don't want people to achieve good things. The problem, based on the studies, observations, and conversations with parents, seems to be that the volume and the power of messages that prioritize achievement and happiness are drowning out whatever other messages are being sent about the importances of caring and responsibility. If we do not get this turned around, we're going to continue to see increases in violence and abuse, and we do not have enough police in this country to manage things for us. So what do we do? I think we start with this. Let's make caring for others a priority. It's clearly important for parents to promote doing one's best, but it's also important for parents to help children learn to balance their needs with the needs of others. This is more than telling them to pass the ball to a teammate. This would mean for parents to go on a mission trip together with their children, going to a soup kitchen together, feeding those who are homeless, going to a flood-ravaged area, helping a family muck out their home. It is time for us to bag that phrase, the most important thing is that you be happy. It isn't. And children and youth need to learn to zoom in, listening closely and attending to those in their immediate circle, and to zoom out, taking in the big picture and considering all of the multiple perspectives. I might also want to help them become strong, moral role models. Being a role model doesn't mean that we need to be perfect or have all of the answers. It means grappling with our flaws, acknowledging our mistakes, listening to our children and students and connecting values to their way of understanding the world, and they won't know how to do that if we don't pass some values onto them. And those values need to be more than their happiness or achievement. Know this. When putting these approaches into practice, some values, especially achievement, play quite differently across class and race and culture. And we're going to have to understand this and grow to understand it. Now, many places, especially colleges, try to find the most successful, interesting people to be their commencement speakers. They believe that these people will be inspirational, but seldom do they consider that they should also be realistic. They tend to be far too willing to dish out the craziest worst advice simply because it somehow worked for them. So they will say things like, 
Follow your dreams. Live your passions. These are insanely unhelpful tips. They're especially unsanefully unhelpful when bills need to be paid and the rent is due. Unfortunately, most commencement speakers give you bad advice. They will tell you to follow your dreams, and you will be tempted to do just that, to trust them as you always have, that seductive suggestion that the world is your oyster waiting to be harvested. While that may be true for some, the hard truth is that for so many it will not be. Following your dreams could be the worst advice you ever get. Dreams are no longer what they once were. Today they are clearly clever coverings to clothe our naked ambition. In the pursuit of your dreams that you've already held for years, by the time you graduate, you have already poured yourself into a mold to fit your dreams. You've attended the right summer camps, maybe an elite far-flung institution. You've tailored extracurricular activities to your specific dream. You will focus your electives and reflect your interests with your dreams. You will take trips and shadow professionals and perhaps even subscribe to the right professional organizations and journals as a student to show the seriousness of your dream. Without anyone noticing, least of all you and your loved ones, your dream will become your prison. Because that's what happens to a dream when you fashion yourself into the shape of a resume. So I have a different suggestion. Don't follow your dreams. Don't even trust them. They're too fickle. Instead, I suggest that you follow your curiosity. Follow your questions more than your dreams. Follow your questions down any road or path or unmarked trail they'll lead. Follow those questions that burn in you, that keep you up at night, that lead you not to answers but even deeper questions. And do not fear the questions of your curiosity. They lie at the heart of our identities and our deepest souls. Too often we bury them because we fear who we are. We're looking at ourselves undisguised without our naked ambition clothing our most profound passions. So rather than ask yourself about your dreams for your future, ponder your questions. Well, follow your dreams. We just want you to be happy. Are pretty big giants with whom we do battle. But it's probably quite helpful for us to wrestle with them. We've got a Jurassic world here where the giants are dinosaur size. And some of these giants aren't limited to a few special effects, and the fear they generate is very real. Now, in the Gospel of Mark, the disciples were afraid. They were afraid they were going to drown. Teacher, don't you care if we drown here? Jesus got up. He rebuked the wind. He said to the waves, quiet, be still. And suddenly the wind died down, and it was calm. And Jesus said, why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? And Mark says something interesting to me. He says, 
They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The disciples, you see, were more frightened by the fact that Jesus could still the storm than they were of the storm itself. And they should be frightened. Jesus is no ordinary man. Only the power of God can still an angry storm, and Jesus had just done this. Christ is still in the business of stilling storms. And sometimes those storms are as close as our individual hearts or our relationships. In the 19th century, philosopher Arthur Schopenhauer compared the human race to porcupines huddled together on a bitter cold winter night. And the colder it gets outside, the more we huddle together for warmth. But the closer we get to one another, the more we hurt one another with our quills. Well, I didn't know much about porcupines, so I thought I would Google what I could find out about porcupines. And I found this article entitled, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. And in the middle of that was a thought or two on porcupines. that porcupines are members of the rodent family. They have around 30,000 quills attached to their bodies. Each quill can be driven into an enemy, and the enemy's body heat will cause microscopic barbs to expand and become more firmly embedded. The wounds can fester the more dangerous ones affecting vital organs, and it can be fatal. Now, the porcupine is not generally regarded as a lovable animal. I have lots of animal puppets, but the only one I don't have is a porcupine. Books and movies celebrate almost every conceivable animal. Dogs and cats and horses and pigs like Babe or Arnold Ziffel in the old TV show Green Acres or spiders in Charlotte's Web and Flipper the porpoise and Gentle Ben and Killer Whales and Free Willy and skunks, even Pepe Le Pew. But you know, I can't find any famous porcupines. As a general rule, porcupines have two methods of handling relationships. They are either withdrawal or attack. They either head for a tree or stick out their quills. They are generally solitary animals. Wolves run in packs, sheep huddle in flocks. We speak of herds of elephants and gaggles of geese and even a murder of cows. But there is no special name for a group of porcupines. They travel alone. Porcupines don't always want to be alone. In late autumn, a young porcupine's thoughts turn to love. But love turns out to be a risky business when you're a porcupine. (laughs) Female porcupines are open to a dinner and a movie only once a year. And the window of opportunity closes very quickly. And a girl porcupines know is one of the most respected turndowns in the entire animal kingdom. (laughs) Fear and anger make them dangerous little creatures to be around. What I've deduced is that well, people can be like porcupines. How often in the closest of relationships we can hurt another. And worse... 
Toxic feelings have a way of intensifying, if not dealt with, at the earliest possible moment. Someone needs to calm the storm. And I suggest that someone is the Christ, but how? Christ calms the storm of fear within. We will not do well in dealing with stormy relationships if we can't conquer the storms in our own hearts and souls. Sometimes back, the BBC produced a TV series called Walking with Dinosaurs. It seems that dinosaurs had a good trick to improve their own safety. They would always walk in single file, each one following in the footsteps of the one before. That way, any other creature that came across their trail would be unable to tell whether there were only one or two of these big creatures up ahead. Or a large herd, they wouldn't know. And I think to myself, Christ can calm storms within our own hearts if we would only walk in the footsteps of Jesus. It's said that surgeons who are invited to dinner parties are often asked to carve the beef. And sometimes they're asked to watch the host carve while commenting on the surgeon's occupation. So at one party, one surgeon was watching the carving while his host kept running up a commentary. How am I doing here, Doc? Uh, Do you like my technique? I'm a pretty good surgeon, don't you think? Well, when the host had finished and the slices of meat lay neatly on the serving platter, the surgeon spoke up. He said, anybody can take them apart, Harry. Now let's see you sew them back together. And what's true of meat is true of relationships. It's much easier to carve them apart than it is to put them together. That's what one man didn't understand in Charleston. Christ can heal relationships. But it is better if things not get too far torn apart in the first place. We need to have Christ calm the storms in our individual lives before they destroy us. We need him to calm the storms in our families, in our precious relationships, in our world. So I say, follow your curiosity more than your dreams. Be careful. Happiness alone is not your goal. Trust God more in the storms you face. Know that God can help you in your fear and bless you. And if you think this has some possibility, there's a prayer we can use. Compassionate God, you care for all your people. In the midst of trouble, you speak peace and act on behalf of the oppressed. We share his caring and make now an offering of concern for the homeless and hungry, the lost and the hurting, that they may know your love in the midst of their trouble. Receive and bless these gifts we bring in Christ's name.
Amen. Please be seated, friends. I grabbed Paige Thompson's Bible because this is what we gave her when she graduated from high school, and it's falling apart. This is how we like to see it. So for those of you who have just gotten your new Bibles, even though we've given you a hardback this time because this was just a measly paperback, you've got a hardback. I'm hoping that you will use it, so, use it up so much that you need a new one. Congratulations. We give thanks and praise for the beautiful flowers that are in our chancel area. So to BJ and to Jane, thank you. We are remembering Jerry Vessling and loving him and giving you all the thanks and glory for the love that you shared with him as well. We also give thanks and praise for the wedding of Paul and Patricia Irving this weekend. Yesterday, in between the storms, they were able to be married in Sonnenberg Gardens outside, and we give thanks and praise for the the love that they have celebrated. They're at the beginning of their journey. And Dick and Sue Kivett are 50 years into their journey. Congratulations to the two of you for celebrating your 50th anniversary this week. We also give thanks and praise for deacons and the strawberry festival that they have put together for dads and grads. So as you leave the sanctuary today in Fellowship Hall, please come and enjoy some ice cream and that good, good taste and good reminder of fellowship and God's fertile harvest. We're also in prayer for... Bo Keller's brother, Anston Keller, as a praise that he was able to get over the AFib that he was experiencing, and so we hope that he'll have no more experiences with that and know that kind of healing. We have a couple of memorial services I want you to be aware of. Yesterday, we gave thanks for the life of Tracy Ford, and we memorialized her over at Whitehaven. And sometime this week, we will have a memorial service yet to be determined 
for Virginia Allen, who passed away yesterday peacefully with her family around her. We'll keep you posted as to when that will be this week. Friends, please join me in prayer. You open the gates of heaven, God, and we catch sight of your eternal order. Your way of righteousness and peace is made known in Jesus, who announces the dawn of a new age. You invite us as citizens of your holy city, where justice and order prevail. In our baptisms, you give us the gift of the Holy Spirit to discern your will in following you. Jesus has shown us what it means to trust. He has made what was hidden now known. As the light, he illumines our way. We thank you that as we face that which lies ahead, we can approach you with assurance that our past is forgiven. Help us to take responsibility for our actions so that others become able to respond to your grace. Keep us from ignoring those who are in need, either because we're greedy or we think them inferior. Guide us to measure our own generosity by the magnitude of your benevolence. It is to you, loving God, eternal and everlasting, that we present these prayers, trusting only in the merit and sacrifice of Christ, through whom, with whom, and in whom we pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Well, it's a great day out there, an opportunity to serve God. If you're like me, there are days when you think that Jesus is asleep on the cushion. And I need the reminder that I'm not alone. God is with me wherever I go. Go in peace. The love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen.